Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Let's just pray. We have been praying, but we're going to pray again. Uh, God, I just pray that you help us... um, Help us just live the way you want us to live. Help us do what you want us to do. Help us say the things you want us to say. Help us do and be in people's lives all the things you want us to do and be in people's lives to really show your life, Lord Jesus. Let your life show and shine through us. Let your life be so expressed through our lives that it really just changes everybody around about us that we encounter. I pray that there'd be such heavenly um, expression through our lives of your love, of your power, of your grace that literally lives would be changed around about us and they wouldn't even necessarily know but they'd just be so attracted to Jesus Christ who's on the inside of us. Help us have a revelation of what it really means to be people who have Jesus living on the inside. Amen. That's what it's about. God, help us just have such a revelation. Increase our heart. Increase our faith. Increase our capacity to receive from you. Increase our ability to know and live by revelation. Increase our ability to hear your voice and respond quicker every single time that we hear that be a quicker, quicker faith response and a quicker action behind it where it's needed just to be really people who obey you every day and every moment of every day, God, that just be lived in complete worship and honor and glory given to you in Jesus' name. God, we give our lives for this. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's what it is, right? Those words. Like if that's you, you when, when, when someone's praying like that, your amen to it agrees with it and your amen to it brings it into your life because that's what God wants, right? So you're praying prayers that God wants to do. <laughs> so it's really easy. Hello, Ellen. I saw you there. So beautiful to see you. Um, this is what God wants our lives to look like Jesus and so if you're praying make my life look like Jesus it's the very prayer that he wants to answer so of course he's going to start doing it right and so be okay with the process because the process is sometimes um, glorious and sometimes it's a bit messy (laughs) but even in the messy he's right there with you right? He's enabling all of the process. The Holy Spirit is in you to make your life look more like Jesus, to transform your life and make you, that literally the Father out of heaven would be looking at you going, I see Jesus in you. Because you know, whoever's parents in the room, you understand. It's like you see a little glimmer of yourself in your own kids and you go, oh my gosh, that's me. (laughs) So, Sometimes that's good if you're a human. Sometimes that's not so good, right? (laughs) But in God, from the Father, when he's seeing that in you, he's like, oh my gosh, that's me. And he's always only saying, oh my gosh, that's me, right? And the Holy Spirit is in you to produce more of the life of Christ in you every single day. He's transforming us every single day. By degree by degree, we're just transformed. And so all the fruit of the Spirit and all of the, um, not just the fruit of the Spirit, but the compassion and the glorious, gentle nature of Jesus, all of it becomes ours as we just place ourselves into his hands every day. That's what it's about. That's not what I'm preaching about. Well, it kind of is. Um, I, I, um, today, I, I'm, I've got this title um, heavenly radicals. That's a good title, right? Heavenly radicals. We're about to launch a prophetic company, and I think I said that about a month ago. And there's just a few of us um, that have just got to meet and nail down some details on this. Um, but um, I don't know. A prophetic company? Maybe it gets called heavenly radicals. Maybe. 
or, or that's like the tagline, something, heavenly radicals. Uh, uh, our lives should be so extremely different and extraordinarily like Jesus's that we should be noticeable and distinguished from people who don't know him. It's supposed to be so different, right? Too many of the church and too many people in the church are really happy just looking like everybody else in the world, looking like the success of the world and looking like, um, you know, clothes, whatever, celebrating some of the same things that the world celebrates. But God wants us to live so extraordinarily different that literally the mark on our life would be that we're so different but so like Jesus that the world wants to be our friend, just like they followed Jesus and wanted to be his friend. There's a magnetic um, part of who, when he's really exploding and um, blooming, your relationship with him is growing and blooming and maturing. Your life will become more like his, as we've been talking about. But in that process, there's a magnetism about your life that others that don't yet know him will start to just go, what, what is that? Because that is so different and I've tasted the world and it is not good. I need a taste of that, right? And Jesus even says, taste of me, right? And so our lives should be so extraordinarily different and so speak to the world in a way that uh, is graceful and inviting to them, but also asking them to come up higher and step themselves out of the world and into his kingdom. Our lives should be so different. So heavenly radicals, as who knows that we're already seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's our position. It's our... Our right now, current position, even though we, you're sitting on a seat, I'm standing here, our current position really is an eternal position and is seated with Christ in heavenly places right now, the eternal reality. And so that doesn't change because I had to walk two, through two years of COVID. Or that doesn't change because, um, I, you know, I didn't get the grade I wanted on my test. <laughs> it doesn't change because someone road raged me, right? My, my heavenly reality is that I'm seated with heaven, Christ in heavenly places right now. And from that perspective, from, so God's heavenly perspective, then I have to then look at the whole rest of the world and every situation that I walk through and every circumstance and every person that comes into my world. Now the perspective is very different because now the perspective of I'm seated with Christ, what does Christ think about this situation? What is Christ, what is, what is the Father's view of this circumstance I'm walking through? It changes the way we're not trying to live up to get love and approval from Father. We already have it. We live from it. So we live from this place. We live from this high place, seated with Christ. We're a new creation. The song that, we, that Emily wrote that we're singing, I'm a new creation, right, is the new creation in Christ Jesus has been fully, fully made new. I am no longer a sinner. That old piece of I'm just a sinner saved by grace is false. It's not biblical. You won't find it in the Bible. If you were a sinner, just a sinner saved by grace, the Holy Spirit could not fill you because you cannot dwell in a sinful vessel. It's not a true, it's not biblical, it's not true. You have been made completely new in Christ Jesus. The old has gone. The old sinful man has gone. The new has come so that Holy Spirit can fully fill you and he can have his way in you. Right? Anyway, that's a little bit of a setup for heavenly radicals. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I used um, Romans chapter 8, um, and I started in verse 4. I'm going to just read that again, actually, just to start real quick, because this is what it is. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be people who are really going to live 
this heavenly radical lifestyle, like kingdom citizens, heavenly citizens, have to understand this. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 4. NIV, I'm reading from the NIV. I mostly do, unless I say otherwise. From the second half of the verse. Do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So live according to the spirit, okay? Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh, they just can't please God. Verse 14, so skip down. Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And so the message a couple of weeks ago was, I, I'm, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. And so even this six months or a bit more than six months, we're just going to keep hitting this thing about identity, who you are in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a, that's with the songs. So thank you for even arranging the songs. <laughs> so, um, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the, of the King of Heaven. Okay, Understand who you are in Christ because the church has not. So the church has been impotent. But when you start to realize who you are, then you can get up in his strength in you because it's never been about our strength anyway. Right? But when you realize it's his strength in you and his life in you, then you easily walk around and you easily express his love and you easily do all the things that Jesus did. All of the ministry that Jesus did becomes yours because he's alive on the inside. And so he wants to still heal. He wants to still give people incredible words, teaching, deliverance, whatever, whatever the ministry that Jesus did on the earth is what we should be doing. That's the only true ministry serving one another in love. Actually, what we did even this morning, we just, instead of usually opening up the, um, we open up for prophetic words today, it was just pray for one another because we really want everybody involved in this because everybody has got to learn, got to, I'm saying got to, because this is what discipleship is and we're calling people into maturity. So everybody has got to learn what it means to be able to pray for someone else. And if you can't do it here, it's going to be really hard out in the world. Right? We've got to be really good at it here and really sharp at it here and fearless. So we sometimes don't think we should because we don't pray with the right words or I don't have enough theology or it's not right theology. And God's just like, would you just say something in my name because I want to heal. And so if we could just step up and go, all of heaven is behind me if I just lay hands on this person and pray because all of heaven wants them healed or all of heaven wants them free, right? And so if we would stop our hindrances, which is our mind, which is the flesh often driven, not spirit driven, the flesh wants to sit down, to be quiet, to be comfortable, to live easy, to obey government, obey the mandates. That's flesh. The Holy Spirit is who we obey. The Holy Spirit alone is who we obey. His voice first, right? And if you can just be a person who every day will get up and just go, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do what he says to me today. Bob Jones, um, not the Bob Jones we were talking about earlier. I just met this new couple. A different Bob Jones because there's two. <laughs> there's one that's extreme legalist, religious, uh, you know, Jesus help that man. Um, <laughs> the other, he's got a university, but seriously. Anyway, there's another Bob Jones. He's in heaven now. I think, is he the prophet? 
Yeah, and so Bob Jones, oh, he was this prophet. He got kicked out of the Baptist churches, by the way, because <laughs> so, he'd sit there going, because the Holy Spirit was teaching him how to be prophetic, but he's in the churches that didn't want this. And so they'd just say, look, there's the door. <laughs> and that's really sad, right? But this man left because he wanted what God was doing in his life. He appreciated that God was taking him on his journey and teaching him how to be prophetic more than just trying to live under the status quo and be accepted by who he thought were leaders, right? So this Bob Jones, he just said this a few years ago, I listened to this, and it's like, oh, it's so simple. <laughs> he goes, I get up every day, and every day I just sit with the Lord, and if he tells me to do something, great, I do it. If he doesn't, I have a day off, <laughs> It doesn't get any more simple. I just, if he tells me to, something, to do something, I just do it. If he doesn't, I have a day off. <laughs> it doesn't get any more simple, but that is really the simple life of being led by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be an expert in anything. We have to only be someone who will listen to his voice and obey his voice every day. And he then will bring all of the things that you need and provision and the doors opened and everything that you need to obey him is yours through the Holy Spirit. He literally will open doors and do radical miracles right in front of you only because you said yes. So I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from Paul. Um, I'm going to read a story about Paul because Paul, we know... Scripture, right? He wrote, you know, a lot of the New Testament. So he's a, he was a radical. <laughs> but um, we can't discount ourselves because we're not that man. That man is our example of how we should be living radically now. We should all see ourselves in Paul. We should all see ourselves in all of the stories in the Bible, right? And so when you see him doing things and preaching and doing miracles and um, whatever it is, whatever the ministry he was doing, you should see yourself in that story as someone fully able to do it because you are filled with the Holy Spirit just like he was. He lived dependent on the Holy Spirit and obedient to the Holy Spirit and that's why he did it. That's really simple, isn't it? A bit like Bob Jones. I just... Get up and do whatever he asks me to do. And if he doesn't tell me one day, I have, you know, the next day I have a day off. It's just obedience is really simple. So in AD 57, maybe some people know. So from about Acts, from Acts chapter 21 all the way to almost 27, all of those chapters, um, 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 Paul's life, um, he'd made, he'd finished his missionary journeys and he'd, made his way to Jerusalem, which he knew would be his last trip to Jerusalem because he's getting all these prophetic words and people saying, please don't go, they're going to kill you. Well, he goes, no, no, I've got to go. The Holy Spirit has bound and compelled me to go. So Acts um, 21 is when he goes into Jerusalem for the last time and um, that he is hated. And he's hated because he's speaking the message of Jesus Christ into the most religious space you can have and politically, like it was a hotbed like, like his powder keg, right? So there's political issues going on and, and there's power plays for political power and there's power plays for religious leadership, right? So he's like, he goes in and it's a power, powder keg. He's preaching, he's preaching to Jews the message of Jesus Christ and um, he's hated. So the whole crowd, the whole city is in uproar, stirred up and it, it even says in one of the verses that violence, there was just much violence in the city and um, they were trying to kill him. And along comes the Roman guards and they start trying to go, what's going on? Let's get this man. We'll arrest this man who hadn't started it. <laughs> we'll arrest this man. They arrested Paul and brought him to their barracks. 
and um, trying, to, trying to explain. He's saying, look, no, 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 I didn't do anything. I'm just trying to tell them I worship the same God they do, but I'm also trying to explain to them who the son is, right? And so he's put in jail, and they end up having to take him to Caesarea. Two years in Caesarea. So now, if you'll open your Bibles to Acts 27... From that point that where it was powder keg in Jerusalem, he's locked up, sent to Caesarea. He appeals to Rome. I know that some of you already know this story, so I really am skipping through it. But really what I want to start reading is from Acts 27. We're going to read this, almost this whole chapter, okay? And, um, which is great because this is what we do. Scripture is what we do, okay? Again, NIV. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, so remember, he's been locked up for two years in Caesarea. When it was decided that we'd sail for Italy, Paul and some of the prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, or Aristarchus, was a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Actually, his name in Greek means he's the best leader. (laughs) Best leader, that's what that word means. Best leader, Aristarchus. Verse 3. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go and visit some friends, because they'd just put into port and they had a few days. And So Julius is the centurion in charge of Paul and the other prisoners, and there's obviously there's um, other Roman guards with them, right? And um, who are, they've got real prisoners, and then Paul, who's not really a prisoner, but he's appealed to Rome, he's appealed to Caesar, and he's got to appear before Caesar. So Julius is more looking after him. He's a prisoner, but it's more that he's under protection. So Julius lets him go and visit friends. Um, Verse 5. Is that what I was up to? Yeah, we had sailed across the open sea off the the coast of Cilicia and to Pamphylia. Um, We landed in Myra and Lycia. Verse 6. The centurion found an Alexandrian ship, so they had a bigger ship sailing across the sea this time. Um, And so they put us on it, boarding us to Italy. Verse 7. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed for the lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. Now, in the Aramaic, actually, where it says winds there, it actually means demon spirits from the Aramaic. It's directly translated demon spirits, wind. We know in the Hebrew... Wind often is one of the words to mean spirit and the Aramaic in this verse is wind, the spirits that were just whipping up the sea. Isn't that interesting? So there was already opposition, demonic opposition to him going to Italy. All right. Um, verse 8. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens um, near the town of Lycia. Um, um, actually, I'll keep reading. Verse 9. Much time had been lost and the sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. What that means is it was October. And so that's late fall, right? Um, Late fall, coming into winter, um, the Romans would close the ocean. They'd close it. 
because <laughs> you couldn't cross, it was impassable. And so it was just too dangerous and they didn't really want to keep rescuing people, doing rescue missions and lose people and lose whether it was trade or whether it was people travelling. They just didn't... So the Romans would close the sea through the winter. So this next section is about them trying to figure out where they're going to stay for three months over the winter. Because this is what they would do. They would just winter in a place in a port and then wait for the, for the spring to come before they'd set sail again. Okay, verse 8. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens. Fair Havens. Sounds like a great place to winter. <laughs> so, verse 9. Much time had been lost and the sailing had already become dangerous because now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them. Verse 10. This is what. Pay attention. Men... I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives. And that was prophetic revelation that he'd, un- he'd, he'd received from the Lord, right? Like, I can see. He was, he's, he's asking them, we need to stay here. Please stay here. This is safe. We're looking for a place anyway. It doesn't matter if it's here or the next port. We've got three months. Let's hunker down here. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be a disastrous one and and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives too. Verse 11. This is the worldly response. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to the winter and the majority of the people decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. That's the worldly response to often the prophetic word. Ah, well, we've heard you say this about staying and wintering here for three months in Wehaven, but all these people over here think it's a better idea if we go over there. And, you know, they're sailors. They know more than you do. You're even a prisoner, really, Paul. Who are you? You're under Roman guard. Why would we listen to you after all? These are the sailors and the ship captain and the owner of the ship and they all think it's better that we move on. Worldly voices, information from the world, looking at circumstances and they did not listen to the prophetic word. Okay. Um, Verse uh, 13. So now this is a 14-day storm that they're about to ride into. 14 days. 13, when it, verse 13, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they're like, right, we're out of here, out of Fair Havens into the next harbour, right? So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along by the storm. The Aramaic there says they surrendered to the storm. So they hadn't listened to the prophetic word, they listened to the voices from the world, and ended up now in a situation where they're just surrendering to the storm. Not a good place to be in. Like having to surrender because you wouldn't obey God, having to then surrender to the way of the world and surrender to the storms that the world brings. Verse 16, as we passed to the lee of the small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted aboard, then they, then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold the, the ship together. So imagine, they're like literally trying to hold the ship together by throwing ropes under it and tying it up. <laughs> like, how desperate are you? 
Huh? It's a I know, yeah, he's sorry, saying it's a bad day. It's a bad day if you are tying the bottom of the ship. And by the way, there's 297, uh, 60, 267, I think, how many? Yeah, 276. <laughs> I was almost right. 276 people on board, so it's not a small ship. It's big enough to have that many people on it. That's, that's all of the sailors, all of the crew, the soldiers and all of the slaves, plus all of the cargo. They had a lot of cargo. Big ship, and they're trying to tie it together with ropes because they wouldn't obey the word of the Lord. They said, stay here and wait the winter out here. Nah, there's a better harbour over there and more people agree. We all agree. We should all go over there. And they had to surrender to the storm. And then they're tying their boat together with ropes. Uh, what verse was up to? Someone needs to help me. <laughs> so, uh, they're afraid. Uh, this, I'm going to start reading from um, uh, half, uh, 18, 18. We took such a violent battering from the storm. This is the storm that they had to surrender to because they wouldn't obey the Lord. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. Verse 20. Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. Imagine being, imagine being so this is not just a one-day thing. This is two weeks of the sun is not seen because it's just cloudy and there's big seas and there's big waves and there's rain and a storm. Two weeks on a ship that they've tied together with ropes and poor Paul is going, if they just obeyed the Lord, <laughs> they wouldn't be like tying the ship together right now. Um, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope. This is Paul, right? Uh, Luke is the writer. We, because Luke is talking of himself, not of Paul. Luke is saying, we gave up all hope of surviving. I, I mean, imagine, like, you're two weeks it's the, trying to keep the boat together, trying to, like, you're throwing cargo, you've, half of your, your tackle, shipping tackles been thrown overboard. You're just, trying to, you're just trying to make land. Any land, doesn't matter what land, just get me on dry land. Just trying to survive. Verse 21. Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. <laughs> it's the worst, I told you so. It's not, he's not actually saying I told you so, okay? It's not, it's not, he, he, it's not like an I told you so. But, but in the Greek, it is um, uh, pythark, pythark, pytho comes from faith. Ark means uh, authority and santos means advice pythaka santos and so what it is is he's saying you should have obeyed the word of the lord you should have obeyed the word of the lord that i had brought if you had we wouldn't be in this trouble right now if, if you if you if you taken my advice not to sail from crete then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss verse 22 I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. He starts prophesying again now, okay, because now he's come to them with more revelation, all right? Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Verse 23, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, so he's literally on the boat, but he's having a prophetic encounters and an angel standing beside him saying, you don't need to worry, is I'm going to safeguard your passage down to Rome because you've got to go and speak before Caesar, right? And so he's got the confidence of the Lord, not because he's any special than anybody else in the boat, but because in the boat, he was the only one who listened to the Lord. 
And that's our lives. We have to be people who listen to the Lord and obey his every word. It doesn't matter what the circumstances around about us look like. It's the heavenly prophetic word of the Lord that we need to be, be the thing that is directing our lives. The Matthew 4, 4 verse that we keep talking about. Man will live on every word. Sorry, not bread alone. Man will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And the Greek there is the Ramati, Rhema, prophetic word. Every prophetic word that comes from the mouth of God is what we're to live on, have our lives directed by, make the decisions by, irrespective of the circumstances and everybody else might be running in the other direction like the whole rest of the boat crew. You've got to be someone who's going to go, I'm going to obey the Lord and it doesn't matter what consequences come into my life because if I obey the Lord, then he becomes responsible for the consequences in my life. If I don't obey the Lord, I start being responsible and those consequences fall upon my shoulders. And then I'm really crying out for grace and help when really it was much, much easier in the first place to listen and obey him. Amen. So I'm going to read back from, do not be afraid, verse 24. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously, graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So the angel's literally saying, I'm going to protect all of these people with you, which is a beautiful promise because they're the ones who are like, nah, we don't want to listen to you, Paul. We're going to follow the crowd. <laughs> so, but God in his graciousness is still just saying, I'm just going to look after you all. Because he's so good. He's so kind, right? 25. Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me it would. Amen? It will happen just as God said it would. Not how man said it would, not how the news says it would, not how political leaders say it would. It happens the way God says it. And, you know, God, we sung songs today about victory, right? God's never lost a fight, <laughs> God's never lost a victory. Did I say that right? God's never lost a victory. God has been victorious all the time. <laughs> There's a better way to say that. <laughs> He's never lost a fight. He's never lost a battle. That's our God. He's never lost. And every single word that he says to you individually or collectively in our church, he will bring to fruition. He said to me at the beginning of the COVID mess, don't close right? He said, don't wear a mask. He said, don't mandate. He said, when the vaccines roll through, tell everyone not to get one. And so we did. <laughs> so, and he also said, I will protect your church. And he has. He has protected us. We've lost no one. And it's not a small thing. It's really, I sit sometimes at home crying in gratitude. We've not lost anyone. And that's, it's beautiful. So be, be people who recognize when he's at work doing protection like that. And if you're listening and obeying and really living according to his word, there's like the extra covering, right? And so be people who will live that way. But then as you live that way, be incredibly grateful for it, right? Psalm 91, he said to me, teach the church Psalm 91. Just keep talking about it. Keep teaching them. Teach them to read it themselves. Pray over it. Read it aloud in your house. Right, declare it into the atmosphere out of your home. And um, one of the verses, I think it's the second to last verse, it says that um, why the Lord protects and covers you is, is he says this, the Lord's saying, because he loves me, I will do this. Because he loves you. 
Like, he loves you, and he wants to protect you, and he wants to put his, um, his, like, cover you. Like, it's a big, big chicken. If you imagine a big chicken, and all the tiny baby chicks, like, come up under the wing of the, of the big chicken. And, and so the Shekinah glory actually is an old word, the Jewish understanding of what the glory of the Holy Spirit meant to be like is just to come under the wings of, of the Holy Spirit, who sometimes is, <laughs> not that he's a chicken, but, <laughs> but you understand the protection. He's so big, and you can, get, you can just come under his protection so beautifully. I don't know why I just went there with a <laughs> chicken. <laughs> so, verse 27, 27, 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. Verse 28. They took soundings and found that the water was 100 feet deep. And a short time later, they took more soundings again and they found it was 90 feet deep, 29. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks. Like, so fear again. They're just taking all of the current, the pulse of the world, aren't they? Oh, measuring the water. A little bit later, measuring it again. Oh my gosh, we're going to hit land soon. Fearing because they measured the pulse of the world. And they listened to what the world said, and they did what the world wanted them to do, and so now they're in a place of fear. Verse 30. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. But Paul said to the centurion, those soldiers, look at what the soldiers are doing, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and would not let the sailors sail off with the lifeboat. Verse 20, uh, 33. Verse 33. Here's, here's something that is, I find just really great. Just before dawn, so this is 14 days into it, right? Just before dawn, for the last 14 days, Paul said, you have been constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said that, he took bread and he gave thanks in front of them all. He had communion. And, he, and, and think about this because it will wreck your, your theology a little bit. They're all, most, they're all, other than Paul's close companions, which we know one was Luke and the other one was Aristarchus. We don't know who else, but was companions with Paul. Everybody else on that ship was probably not believers at all. And Paul gives them all communion. And we're like, we're like if, you haven't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, don't take communion. It's dangerous. <laughs> why why is it dangerous <laughs> anyway anyway I like to play with people's theology um, I urge you is it not one of you will lose a head after he said this after he said this he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all because you know Jesus said do this in remembrance of me right and so Paul in front of them all is taking bread and giving thanks and remembering what Jesus has done. Now, what did Jesus do? He broke all the power of all the power that he broke all the power of sin and death, but he broke all the power of all of the principalities of the air. <laughs> and they're literally sitting in a storm, <laughs> stirred up by winds, demons, spirits who were trying to stop Paul going down to Rome to preach the gospel. So sitting in front of his enemies going, I'm thanking you, Jesus, for what you've done for me and all of these people on the boat here. We give you thanks. And in front of all of his enemies, the spiritual enemies, they all had communion. I think that's pretty powerful. 
unconcerned with his life in that sense because he knew his life was in God's hands. And so he could easily sit there in a place of peace in the worst storm, 14 days, all the rest of the men thinking they're going to die. He's literally at peace going, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's the, that's the you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies verse, right? So he can live at perfect peace in the worst storm where everybody else, they thought they would have died every other day previous or in the 14 days, right? But they're still alive. And Paul's going, thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine being on the, on the ship with Paul as, as you're like, who is this man? <laughs> so, like you'd have to give your life to Jesus after an experience like that. Anyway, verse 30, what was it? 39, thank you. Oh, no, no, not 39. That's right, but thanks, thanks for helping. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> okay, you know, okay, verse, um, we're going we're gonna to start at 33. Oh, that was the communion. We'll start at 34. I, oh, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took bread, he gave thanks and gave them communion. Then he broke it and began, everybody began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food. Altogether, there were 276 people. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, this is, this is quite something. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they threw all the food off the ship. <laughs> so, so, so they're in a place now. He's got them in a place of courage. And now they're like, oh, oh, okay. I think I can really trust this one who does miracles. Yeah, we don't need our food then. That's what happened. They threw all their food overboard, all the grain. Make sense? Like he's literally been able to get them into a place where they're just stirred in their faith to trust God again, or for the first time really, right? So they throw all the food overboard. Verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground. Cutting loose all the anchors, they, let, they, left, um, the, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Um, basically, they're just letting the ship go and run, trying to run the ship into, into the, the nearest piece of land on a beach that they've just seen. But what happened was um, they hit a sandbar. The boat stuck fast and would not move. Verse 42. And here is where the messy, messy mind of a human comes right back in. The soldiers plan to kill all the prisoners. <laughs> so how do you go for like, flip-flopping between, oh my gosh, we're going to be saved. No, we're not going to be saved. Yeah, we're going to be saved. Let's throw the food overboard. And now, now oh, now let's kill them all. <laughs> I don't know how, like a few hours would have transpired, right? But you can understand the roller coaster of thoughts and emotions and how they're just trying to keep themselves... Because oh. a Roman soldier, if he lost his prisoner, they'd be killed. Right, and so, and so they just really just went right back into that place of human natural logicalizing, reasoning, rationalizing. Uh-oh, if I don't kill my prisoners, and if, if, they, if it gets words back, gets to Rome, I'll lose my life, right? And so, and so the logical, which is where all of the mental gymnastics happen where we reject the word of God, right? Let's kill all the prisoners to prevent them from um, swimming away. <laughs> where are they going to swim to? They've just come out of a massive... Sh they don't even know where they are. They don't know they're about to land on Malta. The, the sailors don't know. The soldiers don't know. The prisoners surely don't know where they are. They've been just adrift for, t for 14 days. Where on earth are they going to swim away to? 
There's nowhere. It's the rationing, the logicalizing, which in the end doesn't make sense when it's apart from God. Right? Verse 43. The centurion wanted to, spend, uh, to spare Paul's life. By now, at least the centurion, who was Julius, we read about in verse 1 and 2, um, wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. Verse 44. The rest were just to get there on planks or any other kind of piece of floating piece of ship because it was breaking apart. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's a really serious situation when your boat is falling apart and you're trying to find something that can float you into shore. If you can't swim, that's a bad day. <laughs> but they had a promise from God. Not one of you, and Paul said it twice, not one of you will lose your life. Not a hair on your head. In this way, everyone reached land safely. And 276 people were saved. I, I'm wanting to tell that story, and it's a, it's a pretty dramatic story. It happens over the two-week period, a little bit more than two weeks, right? But, but if you can put yourself in that story and understand that Paul's a man who can, has that, that spiritual antenna trained to listen to God. Like, and we all have the same spiritual antenna. We all have the capacity to receive uh, words, prophetic words, revelation, however God speaks to you, right? You have been created by God to receive revelation, right? And so everyone has this spiritual antenna. On the ship, he's the only one who's listening to God and everybody else is just going along with the crowd and listening to what the crowd is saying and doing what the crowd is doing. And it got them into a lot of trouble. And our lives are no different today than if we were on that ship right there. If you're going to be someone who listens to the crowd, listens to the news, listens to the politicians, listens to the world, you will miss what God is saying. And the worldly messages are quite convincing. The Lord said to me last week that uh, my people, like God's people, believers, right? Not just world. He's talking about believers. He said, my people have filled themselves up on the words from the world to the point where they don't have room now to receive my word. And I don't mean everybody in the church. I'm very I'm speaking generally, right? But the, but the majority, easily, we could say, if you've fallen into a place of fear and believing all of the lies that come through your television set or social media, you have filled yourself up on the words of the world. And so the word of God to you is going to sound foreign because you can't discern now what is the word of God because you've filled yourself up with the words from the world. I pray that we're a church that will reject the words from the world. It's not that we're not aware of what the world is doing and what's going on and what they're saying. We're aware. We just don't let those be the words that we feed on. We feed on his word because his word is the only thing that is true. His word is eternal. His word actually won't, not, not one little cross of a T or a dot of an I will disappear out of this until God fulfills his promises and his end comes at the second appearing of Jesus Christ. So nothing out of this word, logos, or his spoken logos or rhema, none of those words, not one of them will ever not be accomplished he is who we trust, right? He is who we live by. He is who we obey. It's his words that we seek to live our lives and make every decision by. Amen? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm really going to ask everybody here because I'm, I'm putting, myself, putting myself in the same place, right? So, so Jesus, we repent. 
when we have allowed the world to build mindsets in us that are ungodly, whether it's political mindsets, whether it's um, religious mindsets. We, I, right now, I just bring every single person into this place of uh, uh, heart posture before you that will repent of allowing wrong mindsets, of allowing things to be built up in our heart and our mind that have allowed us um, an enemy access to push us around, to put fear in us, worry, anxiety, wrong concern for the things of the world and things that then have directed our decision-making and controlled our lives. I repent, Father. I pray everybody here would repent of any kind of wrong thinking, any kind of agreeing with any lie that has allowed any kind of mindset to be built up in any way. God, bring down every single one of those structures in our mind and our hearts. Anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ in our lives, God, bring it down right now, I pray. I pray everybody in this room would be willingly laying that all at the feet of Jesus. God, everything that sets us up against the knowledge of you, which is really the full experience of the Spirit of God, understanding who you are and in loving relationship with you, understanding we are loved because you loved us first and then we can love you back and God is an intimate, beautiful relationship you bring us into and from that place then we walk into greater knowing, greater understanding, greater maturing in who you are and I pray Father in this place every single person every lie, everything that's been erected in people's minds and hearts and thinking within their soul I pray undo it, bring it down bring it down Break it down. I pray like a wrecking ball, God. Go in and break it down now, God. Bring down mindsets that have set up wrong belief, mindsets that have allowed wrong decision in Jesus' name. And I pray for the purity of the word of God to be the thing that we feed ourselves on every day. I pray, God, that we literally would tremble at your word every day. I pray that we literally make this the food that we eat more than the physical food we put in our body, that we'd feed on your word, God. I pray that this would be the hunger of our heart. Your word says that if we hunger for this, you'll make more of it available to us. A hunger for the word of God. Hunger for the righteousness of God. Hunger for the truth of God. Hunger for relationship with him. Only he satisfies. Only his words satisfy. I pray for true hunger. I pray that that hunger would be literally turned up several notches in people's lives here today and people would burn with an absolute passion for you that would not be ever be put out. God, I pray for you to meet that hunger and you promise that you do. So we're thankful. We're thankful You do meet that. You do meet that. Thank you. You do meet us. Thank you. You're so faithful. It's like father running down the road to meet prodigal, right? He runs. He runs to meet us at every second, at any point of time when we just go, Lord, I'm sorry for that. He just runs to meet us right back and pull us right in close. God, I pray here this morning people would understand um, that rest in you, sitting in your embrace, like sitting on your lap, the embrace of the Lord. I pray people would feel your embrace. I pray they'd feel your presence around about their life, that they'd be so transformed by it, God. And there, it's like right at the structural level that people's DNA, that literally be like gene switching, right? <laughs> that, that people's DNA would be changed. At the, at the core of who we are, the spiritual is actually, the Holy Spirit is in the very, very core Change us from that place. Change us from that place, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to finish praying this from Ephesians.
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand far, uh, far above or rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but in the one to come. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I pray for wisdom. I pray for revelation. I pray for the increase. I pray for the increase of the ability to feel the Holy Spirit and capture revelation. I pray for the increase of everybody here. God, capacity, increase our capacity. Help us be people who know how to steward this and how to steward the greater capacity, how to steward what you give us God because we want more so we just really place our lives before you and ask for the increase God we ask we do we ask for the increase of understanding what you're saying to us and living by your word every single day that we'd be people who catch it and God you you're you're responsible for the faith in the first place in our heart it is the faith that you originate in the human heart that even causes a person to come and get to know you and so Jesus I pray increase our faith increase our faith God increase our faith for all of the things you want to give us help us be heavenly radical people who would live like Paul and not listen to the word world, not listen to the world, not be directed by the circumstances and the storms and not give way and not surrender to the storms anymore in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.